Hey everybody, this is Warren Sharp, NFL analyst over at Sharp Football Analysis. I want to welcome you to the Ringer Gambling Show. Join me on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays each week during the NFL season with guests Chris Vernon, Ben Solak, and Joe House to guide you through the NFL betting landscape. We'll be talking spreads, game totals, parlays, player props, futures, and much, much more. Be sure to follow the Ringer Gambling Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Full Go presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up, and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. And right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays, or SGPs as the kids like to call them, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Chicago everywhere, check it. What up, world? You're listening to The Full Goal with Jason Golf, presented by The Ringer, a Spotify original. Yeah. Welcome into episode three of the Full Go Podcast right here on The Ringer and Spotify. I am Jason Goff, and this is pretty much going to be as the Bears turn. Uh, we, we've been talking a lot about the Bears the last couple of episodes, and why not? The, the Bears are on everyone's mind while the White Sox are figuring out their playoff life as they come down the stretch here, and the Cubs are doing whatever the hell they do uh, if you're watching the Cubs still. We're going we gonna to do some Cubs stuff in the future episodes, but right now they're not as relevant or prevalent in the news. Uh, before we get to that, before we get to our Bears segment, I just want to say this, and you know, we do the whole um, – go into your life and, and share things with people along with the sports. And that's why the ringer and, and Bill Simmons brought me in here. Uh, I have to say this moving sucks. And I, I just started to move yesterday. I moved what five or six times in the last 11 years due to work and all the other things, but moving never is fun. Uh, yesterday moving into my new place and we'll be moving in over the next couple of weeks, me and my lady, but man, yesterday I went to my new place. It hadn't been professionally cleaned yet. Uh, there were some things missing that I was guaranteed would be there and my car got towed. So I want to thank not only the city of Chicago, but my my negligence in reading signs just want to say on t- off top moving is the worst thing that you could possibly do besides death and i don't know how you do death to you. well i do know how you do death to yourself but I, I i'd rather i'd rather a thousand paper cuts and lemon juice and lime juice poured inside those paper cuts than ever have to move again i hope my lady is listening to this the next time we have to move she will understand my problems and my sorrow when it comes to moving uh moving on to the chicago bears you know every time a bears uh uh, coach or player talks it seems to undermine the uh, thought process of one Matt Nagy now I, I've beaten the Bears offense to death over the last couple episodes and I, I don't think anything will change as we go throughout this season and even when Justin Fields gets in there but at least we'll have the hope of a young quarterback to watch while we're watching a system that pretty much isn't uh, schemed around the talent that is on the, the roster uh, Chris Tannehill, our esteemed producer here on this uh, podcast, he, he pointed out some some audio to me because I read the quote uh, from one of the local writers here in the city, Jason Leisure, by the way, shout out to Jay. Uh, he, he tweeted what offensive coordinator Bill Lazor had to say. And Chris, this, this is pretty much Marquise Goodwin in the coach's form uh, when it comes to young Justin Fields. He was asked, hey man, 
can he handle a full series? Can he can he can he handle more than five plays? What's going on? Is because we heard the mental part of the game, the mental aspect is is what uh, you know young Justin Fields has to get acclimated to. And to me, haven't heard any of that about Zach Wilson or Trevor Lawrence. I'm gonna keep banging that drum until this kid is starting and we have some kind of hope or some kind of dynamic talent back there at the quarterback position for Chicago Bears. So. Chris, it, it, we got the tape, right? We got the audio. Go ahead and run what Bill Lazor, Bears offensive coordinator, had to say about Justin Fields in this offense. Bill, do you think Justin Fields, based on what he did week one, is ready for a full series? Do you think he can handle a full series? Um, I, I, I would have said after the preseason he, that, that he's moving quickly and ready for whatever's thrown at him. So I, I don't think anything's changed. If he's ready for it, then... Why, why isn't he getting those additional chances? Uh, I, I think Matt's probably addressed what his philosophy is on the quarterback position. I don't think that's the reason for me to answer that. Yeah, buddy. That is Bill Lazor, offensive coordinator for your Chicago Bears, pretty much saying, my name is Bennett and I ain't in it. That man did everything he could to address how he feels about Justin Fields. I love the quote, too, uh, of, uh, you know, from the outside. You ain't on the outside. You're the offensive coordinator. You see this dude every single day in practice during the preseason. You see this dude every single day in the film study and in the meeting room. You ain't on the outside, Bill. And then at the end, he had to go ahead and button it up and make it real cute and say, well, you know, that's, that ain't on me. That, that's whatever Matt Nagy is thinking. These are the problems. Every once in a while, the fans and the observers and the people who cover these damn teams ain't wrong. Sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes they're wrong, and coaches and organizations can't wait to tell you when you're wrong. But on this one, whether it be Marquise Goodwin, David Montgomery in the, in the preseason, or anybody else covering this damn team, and now Bill Lazor. Bill Lazor, at the end, he has to say, I think Matt has probably addressed what his philosophy is on the quarterback position. That ain't him answering anything. That's him saying the head coach has certain things that maybe he's promised or maybe he sees. The head coach wants to see his system work rather than develop a damn quarterback. And in the end, I don't know what's going to happen in terms of his job situation. I'm never, you know, getting fired is never cool, but sometimes it's required in terms of the results-based business you're in in the NFL. If the damn offensive coordinator is saying, I would have said after the preseason that he's moving quickly and ready for whatever's thrown at him, so I don't think anything's changed, guess what? You know what changed? Andy Dalton being the starter on Sunday night football in front of the nation and embarrassing the Chicago Bears fan base. That's what changed. And I don't even think that changed. We've been hearing this Andy Dalton is the starter stuff from jump. I'm telling you, you go back to Russell Wilson, you go back to Cam Newton, you go back to, hell, last week, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson. I mean, in the end, if this kid is as special as everyone has said he is throughout every level of his football playing career and high-level football playing career, and you have the damn offensive coordinator saying he was ready to handle anything back in preseason, what are we talking about? What are we talking about, really? So, yeah. That's the offensive coordinator, Bill Lazor, laying it out there for you the same way Marquise Goodwin did, a wide receiver who's catching balls from him in practice during the preseason, and then the running back who you got to count on until you get this offense on track, and David Montgomery saying he's got an aura and he's special. At what point is Matt Nagy going to listen to the people around him instead of listening to the voices in his head about his offense? The full goal with Jason Goff. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like when your fantasy league meets up at your house. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this is anything but a fantasy. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Connect with the show 24-7 on the full gold voicemail line. Hit us up at 773-359-3103. That's 773-359-3103. 
All right, we've done a couple episodes of the voicemails, and you guys are doing your job, and I appreciate you. But don't don't feel like you just have to stick to sports. You can hit me with whatever's going on with you. I'm going to start opening this thing up to you know, all the music that people are commenting on, not just in my IG stories, but on Twitter. I, I comment a lot about music and movies and the things that I'm watching. So it doesn't have to be sports. We, we do it a little bit different here at The Ringer, where it's not just sports, but it's also culture and music and movies and all that other stuff, as you know by the, the platform that Bill and everybody's created here. So make sure your voicemails are kind of replicating that, so you can get you can get wild just don't get too wild and make sure you leave your name and where you're calling from chris let's get this voicemail segment underway yo jay golf what's good man it's the mexican joker uh, uh, uh. just want to say congrats on the show bro loving every minute of it so far uh just moved to austin texas so had to find a way to get on my chicago sports news and you're a guy for it uh you ever down here hit me up you know where to find me on uh and them Call of Duty streets and we'll get some barbecue. <laughs> also, shout out Chris Tannehill, best sound man in the game. Glad to see you brought him along on the show. Uh, and yeah, one love, bro. Peace. Ah, oh, that, see, that's the love I'm talking about. Mexican Joker, uh, a really, really good Call of Duty player. Uh, I'm, I'm always out in these Call of Duty streets. If you want to, want to ride with us, we usually do it late at night. Uh, I don't do it as much as I used to because my lady isn't as big a video game fan as I am. But yeah, Jason won golf. Same as all the Twitter, Instagram, all the socials. If you're out there in these Call of Duty streets. And hey, hey Mexican Joker, you moved down to Austin, so I got to do the obligatory, you know, keep Austin weird or whatever the hell that means. But thank you for coming along on this ride with us. And of course, I brought Chris Tannehill because he's, like you said, the best in the game. All right, Tanny, we're done stroking our egos. Let's get to the next one. Hey, Jason, this is Steven from Washington, D.C. Uh, just listened to your first episode, and I really enjoyed it, so glad you're doing this. Uh, i got to say, my favorite White Sox player right now is Tim Anderson. I think he's the absolute heart and soul of his team, and I love watching him play every single day. But I was surprised to hear Bill Simmons say that he thought that Eloy Jimenez was more famous than Tim Anderson. And I'm wondering, do you think that's true nationally? Does uh, T.A. not have as big of a name as some of these other guys when it comes to the national level? And why do you think that is? So thanks. Keep up. Uh, these awesome episodes really enjoying it thanks well you know you got to be careful and i appreciate you and thank you for listening to the first couple of episodes you gotta be careful you know dollar bill simmons says some wild shit at times and uh you know he's he's still pushing this uh ben simmons zach levine trade notion which he's not gonna let go of until both guys are traded for each other maybe eight nine years down the road uh i do disagree i do disagree i think ta has a high national profile, and of course, it started with the the bat flip a couple of years ago. And on top of it, he's he's the hit king. You know, he's he's leading the league in batting average the last couple of years, uh, and he's got what baseball needs, which is. Let's face it, they need personality in Major League Baseball. There's a lot of guys who come up through farm systems or come over here from the Dominican or Venezuela and feel like there's a certain old-school way of doing the baseball vibe. No, no, no. Tim Anderson has come through, kicked the door open for all the kids out there who want to dress like him or dress like him already or talk like him and listen to the same music. That's all you need. That's all you need is a cultural figure to come through and make things cooler than they already are. And then. He doesn't uh, cut corners in terms of how he feels about things, right? Like he said before that he's baseball is kind of boring to him. He's just dope at it, which makes me feel like he's the camera on of baseball. Uh, but no, nah, Tim Anderson does have a, a higher national profile than Eloy Jimenez. Eloy Jimenez is going to probably end up being the better player if he could stay healthy. He's still crashing in the walls trying to make catches and such. Might want to take that mid away from homie. But in the end, Eloy Jimenez is supposed to be the better player. Tim Anderson is the is the catalyst right now. And his crazy stats, like when he when he gets an RBI, the Sox are like 32-1 and one or something like that. When he scores a run, they're like 60-10 and like 10 or something. Steve Stone was detailing the stats the other day. So, yeah, T.A. has a higher national profile, but Eloy Jimenez hopefully will be the better player in the long run, and that means you're going to have two damn good players along with Luis Robert and, uh, and the other boys that they have signed over the years. So uh, it's going to be cool, but Tim Anderson definitely has a higher national profile. All right, let's get to the next one, Chris. Hey, Jason. Uh, love the show. You, you kept mentioning yesterday that you think uh, Matt Nagy might be a swell guy, but and I 100% agree with that. He seems like a swell guy, but – um, we're trying to figure out, some friends and I were trying to figure out what even makes a good head coach anymore. Uh, 
it, is that even a thing that exists, a head coach who does something other than have good personnel, right? Like, who is even a good coach in the NFL these days? Like, Belichick seemed to have dents in his armor when his sixth-round pick left for Florida. Uh, Andy Reid has always had, you know, Donovan and, and Mahomes. Like, who is good as a head coach for doing just head coach things? And is that even a thing, or are we just – assuming that guys who have good quarterbacks are good coaches. I don't know. You're closer to the situation than I am. What makes a good head coach? Appreciate the voicemail. You know, I was thinking about this today, uh, this morning, actually. What makes a good head coach? It's being malleable. Uh, you look at the greatest, right, whether it be Bill Belichick like you mentioned. There was times when Bill Belichick just leaned on defense early in Tom Brady's career and they still were successful. And then there were times where they ended Randy Moss and they opened up that thing and went undefeated and obviously lost in the Super Bowl. So you, you have to be able to not only set the atmosphere but play to your personnel strengths. You know, this is why the New England Patriots had no problem releasing guys who have been longtime Patriots who are like, wait a minute, Richard Seymour? went where Willie McGinnis is done Troy Brown went where you know Ty Law is no longer like they've done it throughout the years because they know how to how to perform when they have to adjust rather than having to adjust and having a lack of performance look at Nick Saban there was a time when college football switched it up you're not gonna have these big ass outside linebackers out here these road graders now you gotta get smaller the the, the tempo changed you know the, the the pace of play changed Lane Kiffin came aboard all these offensive coordinators come aboard and Nick Saban continues to win you know why you gotta be able to adjust and I think the only problem Matt Nagy is in his own way because in the moments where you see him trying to adjust to Whatever he's got personnel-wise, he the reflexive nature of getting back to making sure he's running his offense usually corrupts the results. I mean, hell, Greg Popovich. Greg Popovich has played slowed-down basketball. He's played sped-up basketball, and he's won championships throughout. Yeah, he's had Tim Duncan. He's had Tony Parker. He's had Manu Ginobili, but he had to change his style. He had to acquiesce sometimes to what the league and the, the association was giving to him. I think that's what make, makes a good head coach. The Pittsburgh Steelers got one in Mike Tomlin. For years, Mike Tomlin was on the hot seat. Guess what? They bounced back seemingly every other year, every two years. Count on the defense sometimes. Count on the offense sometimes you've had you know Antonio Brown you've had a killer defense before you've had a great running game but no matter what you keep it afloat by trying to make sure your personnel the talents of your personnel is accentuated so that's how I feel about it next one Chris hey Jason this is Tim Daniel from Cincinnati Ohio um, although I am looking forward to a Bengals Bears game this week I do still stand even though in the Ohio area they diehard Chicago Bulls fan so just kind of curious your thoughts um, with everything they brought in between Caruso, Lonzo, DeMar DeRozan, having Vooch, what should be a realistic expectation in your eyes for year two of Patrick Williams? I know a lot of people are very excited about him, myself included. Uh, has tremendous upside as defender. So curious to see what you think. What should we expect in year two from him, especially where it's looking like he's going to be a later option on the offensive side of the ball? So it's important to hear from you. Take it easy, man. Uh, really loving the show. I appreciate you. No doubt. Uh, P. Will, the pause, they called him. Baby Kawhi when he came into the league uh, a couple of years ago. Listen, Patrick Williams has all the measurables, has all the tangibles, uh, is a great, great kid from what I've gathered. Uh, Patrick Williams needs to understand he's here and he was the fourth pick for a reason. And Thad Young said it last year. Nobody really is supposed to be eaten before you outside of Nikola Vucevic and Zach Levine. Now that you've added Lonzo Ball, now that you've added DeMar DeRozan, of course you might slide down the scale a little bit and shots attempted. But, man, if Patrick Williams is aggressive, and, and mind you, Patrick Williams is going to have to play some small ball five at times. He's going to have to be the tallest dude out there. If Patrick Williams can grow into not just a Draymond Green type of role, because you're talking about a Hall of Famer and defensive player of the year, if Patrick Williams can grow into that kind of role where he's doing every single thing, the dude, I think, has ball, make, uh, ball uh, skills and playmaking ability that we haven't seen yet. He's just got to be assertive. I can't have whole quarters where I don't know that he's on the floor. And I think he worked on that, and I think you saw some of that in the summer league. They put a summer league team around him full of guys that was, was instructed on some, uh, on some Fresh Prince of Bel-Air shit like, hey, pass it to Will. 
You know, instead it was pass it to Patrick Williams, right? So I think once you get that nature, he was on the USA Select team practicing against those Olympians, and Zach Levine was one of the guys he was practicing against and with. Yeah, once you're around that kind of crowd, once you're around that kind of coaching and people are telling you what you are, sometimes you have to be, hell, in this industry, sometimes we got to be convinced that we're better than we think we are just to get the results out of us. I think that has happened. And if, if Patrick Williams is that dude this year, then the Bulls should should be around that five, six, seven slot, right? I don't, if they're not, if they're battling for a play-in, then I think the season is a disappointment or you just had some catastrophic injuries. But P. Will is definitely uh, one of the linchpins to the success of this season. We'll be back with more of the full goal with Jason Goff. After a word from our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Bears talk with Jason Goff on the full goal. And the kick is good for the win. Fade to black. Brought to you by The Ringer, a Spotify original. All right, here on the Full Go Podcast, I, I don't think we have guests. I feel like we have new family because guests mean that you're going to invite them in and if they act up, they ain't never coming to your house again. I'm never going to invite anybody in this house that's going to act up. I probably will, but then we'll probably have him on again. But a guy that I don't have to worry about that because he is a consummate professional. We're going to talk about not only his broadcasting career, his playing career, and get into this Bengals-Bears matchup for week two, but we have the, uh, the pleasure of bringing in one Solomon Wilcott. Solomon, thank you so much for joining us, man. How you feeling? Jason, hey, I'm feeling fine, man. Doing great and uh, great to be on with you. Uh, you're doing a great job and uh, look forward to having a good conversation with you. All right, so let me tell you a little bit of my background as a kid growing up in the, uh, the 80s and early 90s. So Bears football let's face it, was a drag during my uh, childhood. You know, we had some good years sprinkled in there. I don't remember a whole hell of a lot about the Super Bowl. I'm 40 years old, so when when Walter Payton was jumping over piles and the fridge got the touchdown that Walter wasn't happy about, I was five. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm still trying to, you know, wear the the, 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 the tyke uh, football stuff with the kangaroo shoes and the, the headband for McMahon. That's pretty much what I knew about it. As my football life began to uh, kind of grow, the second game after a Bears game was always the game that I could be like, oh, I get to see some real football now. And we always had the Cincinnati Bengals or the Raiders. For whatever reason, it would be Bob Trumpy <laughs> screaming at me, and it would be That's me right. watching Bengals or Raiders football. The Bengals were my second favorite team for a couple of reasons. I love Boomer Esiason as a quarterback. I, I thought when, when play action passing really kind of came of age, you'd be like, wait a damn minute, this dude's hiding the football. And then they, they started to get wild with it, started hiding behind their back. I remember Brett Favre made that pretty popular. But Boomer was my guy as a kid. So yeah. I watched a lot of Bengals football, and that meant I got to see Solomon Wilcox terrorize people in the secondary. And, oh, man, when, the, when you guys lost the Super Bowl, it was like it's like one of those things where you can't tell people how, like, kind of hurt you are because it's not the Bears. <laughs> but, man, you know, Eric Thomas, Tim Crumry, Icky Woods, you, yeah. Anthony Munoz, Eddie McGee, like, you know, Eddie Brown. Like, I, I grew up watching you guys. Yeah. So uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure for me to finally get a chance to, uh, to talk to you. Uh, Bengals history. You're one of the 50 greatest Bengals of all time. I, I, I saw that in terms of not just the ring of honor, but celebrating the Bengals People laugh about the Bengals, right, and, and laugh about what the Bengals have been and how many number one picks have come and gone. But the, the culture of Cincinnati Bengals football and, and all that goes with it, I was watching it as a kid, but you were living it for a few years. Uh, talk to me about you – know, I shouldn't say talk to me because that's what a bad interviewer does. But okay. what was it like uh, being a Bengal during that time? It was great, uh, Jason, to be honest with you. You have to understand, I came in in 87. It was the year we had, that was a strike year. So that was a crazy time because, um, you know, 
we were working. Next thing you know, we were out of work. And there was this move to try to make things better for players with the pension plans and all the things that you see players benefiting from today. We were fighting for then. And I'm a rookie coming into that environment. But, you know, what I knew about the organization is that it was led by Paul Brown, one of the founding fathers of, of a great league, that he was a great coach and he could come in and talk to us and he would pull you to the side individually and he could coach you up. And you knew that he had coached at Ohio State and won championships. He had coached the Cleveland Browns when they first came into the league and they were one of the most successful franchises, particularly to begin um, a, a history um, in the league. And then the Bengals were the same way. And he had this guy by the name of Bill Walsh as his offensive coordinator and a backup quarterback by the name of Sam Weiss, who later went to San Francisco with Bill Walsh and brought that offense back to Cincinnati. And you're right, we had all those players you named, Boomer Siason, Chris Collinsworth, Eddie Brown. And we. I just felt like I had landed on a good team with great coaching. Not good coaching, great coaching. Because I could tell you, we had Sam Weiss, who um, you know had coached Joe Montana when he first came from Notre Dame into San Francisco, that he was given that same offense to Boomer Esiason. We had a guy by the name of Jim McNally as our offensive line coach, who was the father of what we see the outside inside zone running scheme that one of his protégés, Alex Gibbs, yes, made famous with the Denver Broncos. And you see everybody running it now today that we had another great coach by the name of Dick LeBeau, who started the zone blitz defense, who everybody seems to be running today. So when I was in Cincinnati for my first four years, we won the division. We uh, we beat the Cleveland Browns so much that they said goodbye to Marty Schottenheimer, who was a great coach. And they brought in a guy by the name of Bud Carson. Then they brought in another guy by the name of Bill Belichick. And we kept beating them. <laughs> and we ended up beating Pittsburgh to the point they said goodbye to a great coach by the name of Chuck Noll. And we kept beating a great Houston Oiler team with a Hall of Fame quarterback by the name of Warren Moon. Yeah. When I tell you we beat them all, we did. And so when you say that today, people think, no, Cincinnati Bengals never beat the the uh, you know the Houston Oilers like that. They never beat the Pittsburgh Steelers mm -hmm. like. Yes, we did. I'm here to tell you, every time we played them, we beat them. And so I this you know this era that we live in today, where people like to tell jokes about the Bengals. <laughs> You know, I don't know anything about it. it. It just doesn't resonate with me at all. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't land, right? Um, no. During that time in your professional playing career, uh, when did you know, or when did you think of, you know what? After this broadcasting or getting into talking about this game is where it's going to be at for me. Or did it happen during it? Because you know, I've, I work side by side with Anthony Heron, who does Pac-12 football and does Big Ten radio. And, yeah. and I've asked him about this. When did he think that that was going to be the next step? And he, you know, he went through multiple injuries in his playing career. And obviously, you know, you got to figure out what's going to happen. Because I always try to explain to people athletics and, and sport, professional sports in general, it's hard to at 27 sometimes, 28, be told, hey, you got to go figure something else out. Like if you have a great career, you're 38, yeah. 39 years old, and you're yeah. left with, okay, the lights aren't shining anymore. What am I about to do with my life? So when yeah. did you figure out that talking in front of that microphone right there would be the way for you? I always knew it's what I would do. Um, even when I, I remember the day my mother dropped me off at the LAX airport. I grew up in Los Angeles, California. I'm flying into Denver, Colorado. I had already chosen I'm going to go to school at, at the University of Colorado in Boulder. And I remember she was dropping me off and she was like, well, it's okay. So what do you want to study? I said, I want to be a sports reporter. I want to cover sports. And uh, that's what I want to do. And I remember my mom looking at me. She said, but you don't talk. You know, she, she, you know how mothers are now. They, they know you better than anyone. Like, Wait a minute. <laughs> and then I just remember saying, mom, it's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. And I have three older brothers. I grew up in a large extended family with cousins, aunts and uncles. My dad's a Baptist minister. And so I grew up in the church, but a large extended family in which I was way down the chain. <laughs> you, you know what those families like. And yeah, to fight for your food. American community. Yeah, yeah man, you, you, you need to be seen and not heard, bro. <laughs> you need to, you need to find you a spot and sit down somewhere because you don't need to be told to shut the hell up. Right. That, that's what would happen, right. but it would happen in a much more difficult way. So you had to, I had to pick my spot. I already knew 
I'm gonna have to get a long way away from here if my voice is ever gonna be heard. And that's what happened. And so I remember when I was in college, I remember I had some great college professors in the English department in the journalism school. And, and then they started, you know, um, I, I just remember one of my one of my journalism professors telling me, you know, you you don't speak the way that you write. And I and I said, really? And they said, well, no, you the way you write is so wonderful, but the way you speak, we need to clean that up. <laughs> you, had to get, you had to get the King's English popping, huh? Yeah, yeah, you know, but she, what they were saying is you can write it really well. Right. Now we got to get you to speak it. <laughs> so so that took some time to do that. But so I had always kind of known that's what I wanted to do. And I remember telling Dick LeBeau that's what I ultimately want to do. And he was he was very encouraging as a coach. and And he taught me so much about the game that, it really did impact uh, my knowledge of the game when I became a, a reporter, then later a, uh, a game analyst for CBS Sports. And he still is one of the great mentors of my life. You know, it's, it's awesome that you're, you're getting that in depth about it because I've always wondered when it comes to former athletes, and I've, I've hosted and co-hosted shows with former athletes. And to me, the way former athletes are coached up after their professional playing career is mm -hmm. it's, I feel like guys and girls get underutilized for their knowledge because especially with TV, you got to get in yeah. and out. You got 45 seconds, get the people what they want, speaking yeah. generalities. But like there, there's a segment of the audience like myself, maybe maybe because I'm a sports nerd. I want to learn from the guys and girls who did this, right? Mm -hmm. I want to learn, you know, not just, yeah, cover two, cover three, cover one. We, we're very aware of that. We all play Madden, all these other things. You talk about Dick LeBeau's zone defense, but, you know, how do you, how do you middle it as a, a, a former professional player, now broadcaster, making sure that you reach people and put it in general terms enough, but also make sure that somebody's learning something, right? Like not, yeah. not just, okay, the quarterback's pointing. No, he's, he's trying to designate who the mic is so you know where the slide of protection and you know where the middle of the defense is and it's not always a linebacker. Like Those are the things where you, you get the fans who love to eat that up, but I feel like the bosses of, of – of the people who have played these games are like, hey, man, play the hits. We don't need you being too dense out here. Like, how do you middle that and also understand that I got a lot up here that I need to tell the people, but how will it be consumed? Yeah, I think you have to meet people where they're at. And I think the art of storytelling is truly understanding your audience and understanding what's the best pathway of delivery so that they can receive the message. And then you have to, I think, understand how to calibrate it in terms of how, how deep you really need to go there. Um, sometimes um, you could use very simple language to uncover layers of a really profound truth, if that's how deep you want to go. But I, I really think it's football or it's sports, and I don't know that it has to be that deep. I think people want a departure from the deeper things in life. They have to deal with so many problems in their everyday lives. They have families to take care of and children to raise, right? They have parents to take care of, especially during a global pandemic, right? They, man, they just want some football and they want it to be fun. And then, yeah, drop a little learning in there along the way. Um, but I just think it has to be very comprehensive, but more than anything, a little bit of levity and fun, I think is what they enjoy while at the same time receiving some kind of kernel that they can hang their hat on. All right, a couple more questions before we jump into week two preview, Bengals, Bears. This matchup doesn't happen very often, right? It's only happened like 11, 12 times in, in both the team's histories. And every time it happens, I remember the Cedric Benson game. Boy, yeah, 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 you already know. You already know. Um, it was, whoo, that was ugly. But, uh, but uh, before we do that, uh, professional career, whether it be broadcasting or playing, your worst day and your best day? Oh, man, my worst day by far had to be one of my earliest games as a freshman in college. I never had a day like this in the pros because if I did, I, my career wouldn't have lasted. I, I remember giving up. We're playing UCLA. I grew up in L.A. We're playing UCLA. I'm playing as a freshman, maybe my second game of my career, you know. And you were in Boulder, and, by the way, for the people listening. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we were in Boulder, Colorado. And I give up two touchdown passes, man. Ah. Now, you know, that's for a defensive back for a corner. 
that's like the kiss of death. Like you lucky if you ever see the field again, let alone if you get back out there as a freshman. I mean, right. for the next four years, you may not see the field ever again. <laughs> you know, and so I remember they were throwing oranges. You know, the, we would go to the Orange Bowl. The fans were throwing oranges. I'd go back to my dorm. I, I remember calling my calling my dad. I talked to my daddy. How'd the game go? Oh, dad, it was bad. I, I gave up two touchdown passes, and he was like, ah, it'll be okay. I was like, ah, I don't know. He said, well, you remember how great they told you you were when you were in high school and you were taking all those trips? Yeah, he said, well, they were wrong then and they're wrong now. You were never that good, and right now, I'm going to tell you right now, you're not as bad as they say you are, but you better know who you are, and you better know what you're going to do about it. I mean, he was he was just very good at being able to say the right words that brought some humility but also brought some confidence back into the room. Okay. And then, you know, uh, some of the best days were not necessarily about my individual performance. Cause for me, it was always about winning. I mean, there was games when I had interceptions and multiple interceptions and things of that nature. And, you know, when you have to run up and tackle a Bo Jackson or a Barry Sanders, both of those are equally difficult in a different way, if you know what I'm right, saying. Right. When Kevin Mack comes barreling down, right? He ain't throwing no moves, man. Kevin Mack. That dude, that dude coming in, he like a Brahma bull. He coming right at you. And I remember coming up, I know the first down marker was somewhere right there. I had to stop this man from hitting that line. And bam, you know, we run each other, man. I make the tackle. I get up. We're screaming because we're getting off the field on third down. I remember I was with the Steelers then, and I come running off. Everybody's pumping me up at Coach Cowher. He was like, great tackle. Great. You know how Coach Cowher is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spitting in your face and everything. And then, and then he says, your nose is bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> so so I make this great tackle, this great stop. Right. You know, and, and, your brain. and everybody. Yeah. yeah and you, you take on that kind of dude, man. That wins over the whole team. But you know, only the coach could say in a very discreet way, uh, get wipe the blood. Right, from right, the right, nose. right, right, right. <laughs> right. Don't 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 show him that that your body couldn't take it that's without right, leaking a little right. bit. Right? It was hilarious, man. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, before the preview, what you're listening to. I'm gonna get in the habit of asking every single guest that comes on the full go podcast because we want the full edition of what Solomon Wilcox is. What you're listening to these days, whether it be new or old, what's getting you in the right headspace? You know, there's a couple of soundtracks. And I'm going to tell you, man, you know, I know you live in Chicago, so I'm not saying this for you, but the uh, the, the hit series, The Shy, right? Oh, yeah. It's a hell of a soundtrack. Yeah. You, you got to check out this soundtrack Okay, is It's tight. And another soundtrack um, is Godfather of Harlem. Oh, um, I love obviously it. Obviously, the hit Beats series the on, on Epics. And, and if you listen to the soundtrack, man, it, so it's kind of got some old school stuff because they got Ronald Isley on there singing an old school cut, but he made it his new deal. And man, it is phenomenal. It's some of the best music being made. Um, Alicia Keys, uh, husband. What's yeah, Swiss name? Beats. Yeah, Swiss Beats Swiss is, Beat. in for, uh, is in charge of scoring the entire thing. He's he cold blooded. <laughs> he, he on his game. Yeah. He's on his game. Yeah. He did he did the thing and it, it ought to win some awards. So both of those soundtracks, I would advise everyone, um, go to your iTunes, download it. You're gonna be blessed. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah, and we yeah. all know Spotify is the gang. So it'll That's be right. it's right there for you as well. All right, let's get into this game. Week two. Last year, Joe Burrow was in what, six or seven one score games before he got injured. So if you keep it close in his rookie year, he was, you know, he was going to keep it close and came out with a couple of wins. This year, man, that Minnesota Vikings game, that showed me something. Physically, yeah. that team stood toe-to-toe with the Mike Zimmer defense, who coming off of last year, they had to get a lot better. That's the most points Mike Zimmer allowed as a defensive coach last year. So they brought in a couple of guys, and that, that Bengals offensive line, I didn't know it was going to move people like they did. And Joe Mixon – Took it back to the old school. What what is this Bengals team? And I know week one is the week to overreact to things, but I, I'm a little nervous about this game as a Chicago Bears fan. What what did the Bengals show you in week one? Not just Burrow, but also what that offensive line was doing. And Jamar Chase was out here dropping everything in the preseason. All of a sudden, he out there looking like, you know, Jerry Rice. You know, it was all of the above. And I, I applauded the Bengals bringing back Frank Pollock. 
um, uh, the offensive line coach because I knew they were going to be serious about running the ball. And I knew they were going to be serious about running the offense through Joe Mixon, who has taken on the mantle. Hey, let me be the guy. And, and that the NFL was going back to that. It's still a pass-happy league. But if you can't influence the line of scrimmage and have some play-action pass as part of that, some RPO type of stuff, it's just not going to work if you can't win at the line of scrimmage. And that's what Joe Mixon and this offensive line gave to Joe Burrow as a gift, right? He was still sacked five times in the game, Mm -hmm. but they were able to slow down the Vikings defense enough to allow him a 50 yard rainbow um, to Jamar chase, allow him enough to be able to hit a T Higgins and a Tyler Boyd. And even um, Zach Taylor did a wonderful job in overtime. It was a gamble fourth down play. 32-yard pass to C.J. Usama yeah. to put him in field goal range. And how about a rookie kicker? Yeah, he was man. the only rookie, Evan McPherson, the only rookie drafted in a tw- as a kicker in the 2021 draft. He had a 53-yarder earlier in the game and then came back to hit the 33-yarder in overtime to win the game. So it, it was a comprehensive um, collective victory. It took everybody. I thought the defense did a really good job of putting pressure and getting hits on uh, Kirk Cousins. Um, and so, yeah, they, I think they look good now it's got, you got to back that up week two. Um, you got to back it up. Joe Burrow has taken this team very quickly from a team in 2018 or 2019, excuse me, that was getting blown out to being competitive, as you said, in very close games in 2020 to now just getting over on the other side of the hump to being able to close out games at the end. Joe Burrow is the real deal. Mm-hmm. He is the truth. Don't there's no let nobody tell you anything different. This dude's got some heart now. He's got some game in him. He plays to win. And I think he's surrounded now by enough guys who've got that same spirit. Yeah. He he moves with a certain confidence, a certain swag that you know no doubt. he's the man yeah. in the building. It's it's funny that you mentioned Joe Burrow. That's a perfect segue to Justin Fields. For me, you know, <clears throat> everything that's been said about Justin Fields coming into this situation, you know, like I, I mentioned in episode one of the podcast, he did everything besides cure COVID this preseason at Hallis Hall. <laughs> and then now all of a sudden he's not mentally ready or whatever the hell is going on. I'm sorry. Solomon, if Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence, if Zach Wilson is more professionally ready than the dude who got recruited as the number one quarterback out of high school that went to Georgia, played in the SEC, goes to Ohio State, plays in the Big Ten, plays against major competition. If this dude can't be more dynamic and better than Andy Dalton had, what, 5.4 yards per pass attempt in the first game. And I know it's against the Rams. I know it's against Aaron Donald. I know it's against Jalen Ramsey. But damn, man, in this league where you ain't sitting for two, three years anymore, and waiting for that quarterback to develop because you don't have that time as a coaching staff. I, I Everyone's clamoring for Justin Fields. We'll probably get him here in the next few weeks or so. But I, if Joe Burrow and all these guys get thrown into the fire, you figure it out. This kid has shown you nothing but, hey, throw me into the fire and let me figure it out. I just worry that Matt Nagy wants his system and his scheme to be the star of the team instead of performing in a way where you let the personnel dictate what you're doing. How do you feel about rookie quarterbacks getting that look and obviously it's a case-by-case basis but when do you know as a former player as a teammate as a broadcaster as an observer when a when a young quarterback is ready to take the mantle well Jason right I'm serious I I think the Chicago Bears are just they're caught in 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 a state of their own history they're they're trapped right because they've seen They've seen it before. They've been here so many times where they've been so close with that quarterback and that player, and then it didn't pop. It didn't come to fruition. It some somehow or another they missed their date with destiny at the quarterback position. Yeah, I remember the Chargers being that organization. Right? Um, they could have drafted Michael Vick. They were so skittish. Ah, ah, oh, we're gonna screw this up. We're gonna screw this up. Trade the pick. Trade down. They took Ladainian Tomlinson. I get it. And then they later, they wanted a quarterback in the second round. They had Drew. that kid from Purdue, yeah. Drew Brees. And even they had him. They were so skittish. They still that same year went and signed Doug Flutie. Mm. So that Flutie could play, not Brees. And even a couple of years later, when it looked like Brees was ready to be the guy, they drafted Phillip Rivers. Yeah. They were so fearful. We, don't, we got the guy, but they didn't know they had the guy. They weren't sure if they had the guy. 
in so much they kept doubling down and doubling down. That shows you how confident they were in that move. And then they end up jettisoning the guy to make Philip Rivers the guy, right? Once the team got good, they got even got rid of, of, of Drew Brees, who went on to have this great career and have be one of the great quarterbacks this league has ever seen. Right. But they didn't recognize it when they had it. And I think that's where the Bears are, because not since the great Sid Luckman, <laughs> have you been able to hang your hat on a guy like this is our dude, where it's universally known in the building, outside the building, in every tavern in Chicago. You've never had this universal feel that this is our dude until until now. But they don't want to screw it up. Right. They they get to say, ah, dude, let the guy play. How, they are. They just screwed it up with Mitchell Trubisky, right? Yeah. Yeah. How come Mitchell Trubisky looked so good coming back in a preseason game with Buffalo? It couldn't look good for you. That that's that I think lends itself to the insecurity <laughs> that many in the building, including Matt Nagy, by the way. Okay, because he's got to have this some sense of feel that I couldn't get it done with Trubisky. I got I could whatever happened, he, he didn't get it done. He couldn't get him to that next level. And he doesn't as soon as you insert Justin Fields into the lineup, the it's clock time. is ticking. It's time. So now, so now he knows if I if this is a second strike here, everyone's gonna <laughs> sooner or later have to start looking. At Matt Nagy. So I think even the organization, even Ryan Pace, they all want to slow this because whatever that in-game uh, answer is, they'd rather wait to get that than to have it more immediate. However, instead of just relying on their ability to develop the player and develop the team and let's go, it's go time. Yeah, that's all. It's go time. Huh? And maybe they, they love Andy Reid so much that they want to do what Andy Reid did with, Patrick Mahomes, but yeah, but that's because they had Alex Smith and they were a perennial playoff team at the time. Well, the Bears aren't that perennial playoff team. And and uh, look, I know Andy Dalton. Andy's a good player, but he wasn't as prolific and a consistent winner like Alex Smith was right. for, for this team. He's not what Alex was for that team. So I, I get them on trying to sell that, but I'm not buying it. I, I believe with you that there's no doubt. Justin Fields, it's time for him to play, and I think we're going to see him sooner rather than later other than just on red zone possessions. All right, man. I could I could talk football with you forever. Um, hopefully the Bears target Eli Apple. Uh, and uh, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. No, it's it's Eli Poison. I heard. I heard Just the podcast. So you know. I heard the podcast. <laughs> Eli, heard, poison <laughs> Eli Poison. Eli <laughs> Poison. Oh yeah. my goodness! Hey, his people gonna come after you. you gotta be careful. All right. I uh, know, right? I know, man. It's <laughs> like hey, my hey, goodness. We, we could talk forever about this, man. I'd, I'd love to talk to you about defensive backs out here not trusting their jam. Next time we get on, because these free releases are bothering me every time I watch. God bless the the dead. Rest in peace to my man Doug Buffon, former. Uh, linebacker and, and Chicago Bears great and Chicago legend. He used to work with him. He, he'd be angry every time a tight end came off the line with a free release. Yeah. I'm seeing yeah. it on the wide receiver position as well. It's like, hey, man, you, you let the dude who knows where he's going get a head start on you, that ground's going to be covered very it. early. That ground's going to be – before we go, why, why don't more corners trust their jam? And if they don't trust their jam, getting caught halfway or midway through. Because every time I see, whether it be a double move or anything that's intricate – it's because a dude didn't trust his jam. NFL secondary um, play, the coaching, is the worst in all of football. <laughs> you have the guys. I'll tell you how you know a bad defensive back coach. Lay it on me. The first thing he's going to tell his players, don't get beat deep. That's how you know he's a bad coach, Jason, because he already knows that. Every defensive back, and, you, and everyone knows that as a teacher – you don't start by teaching with a negative. Mm. You always teach in the affirmative. You don't tell a person what not to do as the first directive, because that will be what is what he prioritizes the most. Right, right. So when I tell you, it's the worst coach ever, man, in the National Football League. And, and so here's I'm going to give you this. I don't care if you coach Little League, high school, college or pro. When you play in the secondary, it's about one thing. You don't have to cover that guy over all that green grass. You don't have to be next to him every step of the way. What you got to do is prevent him from getting to the spot 
that the quarterback expects him to be at when it's time to throw the ball. The passing team, the passing game on offense is about timing. Right. Quarterback drop back, hit the top of that drop. Ball got to come out. Receiver got to be there. Your job is to don't let him be there. Disrupt that timing. So you got to disrupt the timing. That's why jamming at the line of scrimmage is so important. Because all your if I if I coach a defensive back and I say, hey guys, this is what we're doing this week. We're not going to let them off the line of scrimmage because we're just going to disrupt timing because we know our pass rush is going to get there. I just need you guys to don't open your hips. Stay square on the guy like you, a good basketball player, and take a charge. Right. I guarantee you every single one of my defensive backs can accomplish that. But if I said, we're going to play a game, nobody gets beat deep. They're going to be like, Coach, come on, man. Come on, you know the rules are set up for them dudes to do all this stuff. I just gave them an impossible task. Right. But if I asked them to disrupt timing, I gave them a, not only a possible task, but something that's very doable and something where we can play with a great level of confidence and we can rule the game. So I'm just telling you right now, that's how you coach in the secondary. We need to fire a lot of people. <laughs> that's what we need to do. Hey man, I'm we got a lot of guys impersonating defensive back coaches and don't know what they do. Solomon Dam Wilcox. Thank you so much for joining the Full Go Podcast, my man. I, I have appreciated this time. You, you're a very busy man. So if, if before you go, you want to let anybody know where you could be heard? Because I listen to the podcast. I need Adam Jones to show up to the podcast so I can get that flavor. I know, right? I listen, got, I listen, I listen got, to this we, week's podcast. He, it's early in the game. He going to be there. He going to be there, <laughs> man. We, but no, check us out on Sirius XM NFL Radio every morning. Um, we're the host of the opening drive on Sirius XM NFL Radio Channel 88. Um, you can also follow me at Solomon's Wisdom on Twitter. But yeah, check out the Believe in Bingo podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Um, Solomon Wilcox, Adam Pacman Jones, man. The guy is going to be ready. I'm telling you, man. No, he I, missed I, week I, one, but. Adam going to be there week two and beyond, okay? I, I'm looking forward to you and Adam chopping it up about secondary play and whatever else is on your mind. Solomon, thank you so much for giving us your time, man. I appreciate you. All right, Jason. Hey, keep up the good work, and uh, thanks for having me, okay? Yes, sir. Solomon Wilcox here on the Full Go Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Full Go with Jason Goff. Jason Goff. Thank you for listening to my daddy. You know, something that has, I don't want to say been bothering me. Yeah, I'll say it. It's been bothering me. Uh, black head coaches in not just the NFL, but also the NBA, trying to figure out what that path is to being a head coach. And we see it all the time where the young wonderkin offensive coordinator who's 36 years old, 35 years old, comes up through the ranks in a couple of years. His name is on everybody's tongue. And then all of a sudden he becomes the head coach of a franchise, whether it be Zach Taylor having a cup of coffee with Sean McVay. Like Sean McVay for a few years here has been the guy that if you've ever shaken his hand, then you're going to get a job because you must be an offensive genius, right? I mean, the, there's been a couple of coaches who've been like that. But Andy Reid, Andy Reid has been the big fish in that category for a decade now. And if you take a look at what the Kansas City Chiefs have been offensively, not just with Patrick Mahomes, but before that with Alex Smith, who was a serviceable, you know, above average quarterback in the latter part of his career. Andy Reid, if you worked for him, you were going to get a job if you were good enough, whether it be Brad Childress, whether it be Doug Peterson, Matt Nagy for one year, you're going to get a gig. You're going, your name is going to be at the top of everybody's list when it comes to offensive coordinators and guys who, uh, who are innovative enough to take over a franchise and be the head guy. And then we get to Eric Bieniemy. 
And for a couple of years now, we've been talking about Eric Bieniemy. And before we even get into it, I understand there's been some legal issues when it comes to Eric Bieniemy, namely, you know, the 1993 uh, arrest in Boulder, Colorado, for allegedly harassing a female parking attendant. You know, he, he he got a ticket for driving a defective vehicle in Colorado. You know, as a, as a member of the Colorado Buffaloes in 1990, he pleaded no contest to interfering with a firefighter who who, who was trying to extinguish a fire and be enemy's mother's garage, right? Like, we, we know about these things, but should that hinder his search or his, his want to be a head coach? And on top of it, he's, he's paid his dues. You know, we, we saw him coaching Adrian Peterson here in the NFC North with, with the Minnesota Vikings. He has been on NFL sidelines for a very long time. Why isn't Eric Bieniemy's name being mentioned? And I'll, I'll take it to the NBA links. Patrick Ewing has been sitting on benches, sitting on benches, waiting his turn, doing whatever he had to do. I don't know if he wasn't interviewing well. I don't even want to bring it up because I don't want to even throw that in the game, right? Because immediately we talk about, is he ready to run a practice or is he, is he ready to do everything and be the head of a franchise? Guess what? Patrick Ewing had to go back to his alma mater at Georgetown. He had to go back to college basketball to find his way into a head coaching position. Jerry Stackhouse had to go back to college basketball to find his way into a head coaching position. Juwan Howard sat on benches. I know these are NBA examples, but I think the same thing can be said for the NFL. How many black offensive coordinators out there are we really talking about? Byron Leftwich, right? Byron Leftwich ain't, to me, getting the credit he deserves for the last couple of years, well, last year, and now one game of this year in terms of play calling and what he's doing to make everybody happy on that offense. Tom Brady comes in, you got to run what Tom Brady likes. That's part of being a good head coach in the future, right? We're still talking about Matt Nagy here in Chicago, not managing his system around the talent that he has been given. Byron Leftwich got a whole bunch of talent thrown in his lap. You got to manage those egos. You got to make sure guys' agents aren't calling the head coach asking why they're not getting catches. Whether it be Chris Godwin or Michael Evans or Antonio Brown or Rob Gronkowski, Gronkowski or, or or any of the stable of running backs that, that need the ball as well. You got to keep everybody fed. That's part of it too. That ain't just game planning. It ain't just, you know, it's setting an atmosphere. So Eric Bieniemy is sitting and waiting. And guess what? The USC job comes up. Clay Helton goes out there and, and doesn't provide what the USC Trojans, uh, you know, athletic department needs. And now they're throwing all kinds of names out there. Urban Meyer says there's no chance. And believe me, I don't think there's any chance that Urban Meyer can go to USC for, for myriad reasons. But, man, Eric Bieniemy is probably going to have to go back to college to be a head coach. And I think it stinks. I think it sucks. And, and, and Art Shell was a long damn time ago, but it seems like very recently. Because when I was a kid, Art Shell was the only black head coach I could look to. And then all of a sudden, you fast forward, and Chicago Bears fans know it. You had two black head coaches in the Super Bowl, and Tony Dungy and Lovey Smith. And you still fast forward now. We got, what, a third of the league has black quarterbacks. So I know there's, there's evolution and progress. And also, you know, you're, you're actually giving people a chance who are damn talented. Right. You look at the segregated South and what college football used to be in the in the, uh, the, the the Southwestern Conference and the Big Eight and all that. Yeah. Segregation in football happened because people were tired of seeing uh, these brothers running around and, and not thinking, hey, we can whoop somebody's ass with these brothers. The same thing could be said with coaching. Same thing could be said with coaching. Mike Tomlin has been doing his thing with the Pittsburgh Steelers for years, and the standard has always been the standard, and that's why when he's on the hot seat at 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7, and seven, it means something. All right, Open up the doors and allow for other ideas and other backgrounds to play the part and not just call in place for you or being a unit coach. You know what I mean? Coaching the secondary or coaching the running backs. Let Eric Bieniemy find his way to one of these head coaching positions and see what happens. And you know what? The best part about it is I can't wait until guys get a second chance at this thing, not just a first chance of failure at guys like Ray Rhodes and, 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 and dudes of the such. When we really see progress, we'll see guys who are retreads, who are black coaches, not just guys who can come back after three or four failed experiments just because they know people in front offices. That's when we'll see real progress. Eric Bieniemy, I hope he gets a head coaching job someday on the professional ranks, but if USC is the next stop, then so be it. And also, before we get out of here as well, I want to congratulate and celebrate Lisa Byington, a person who I've 
personally uh, had interactions with on an interview basis on Big Ten Radio on Sirius XM back in the day with Aunt Heron, Big Ann Heron. Shout out to Anthony Heron, by the way. But Lisa Byington has been doing great work calling games, whether it be on the college football level, college basketball, and now she will be the first female play-by-play full-time announcer of a professional sporting uh, you know, organization in the Milwaukee Bucks. So shout-out to Lisa Byington. Shout-out to the Milwaukee Bucks for going out there and, and getting a terrific talent and a better person. So that's it in terms of outside the shy news. Time for us to wrap it up. Once again, I want to thank everybody who has been listening who has been downloading this thing, subscribing, following, sharing it with your friends, your pastor, your barbershop, you know, guys, your, your, your salon girls, anything that you're doing out there, sharing it with the Uber drivers and the taxi drivers out here. I truly, truly appreciate it. We'll talk to you Sunday night after week two of NFL football. And, of course, Bears, Bengals, we'll recap that game. Hopefully the Bears get a win. I think it's going to be a lot tougher uh, than anybody realizes. I want to thank Solomon Wilcox for joining us as well. And also, you need to check out the NFL show right here on The Ringer with me, Ryan Shazier, and James Jones. We we drop that thing every single Tuesday. I was going to say we rock that thing, but yeah, we rock it, and we drop it on Tuesday. Make sure you call or text with your thoughts on anything on our voicemail hotline at 773-359-3103. That's 773-359-3103. Thank you so much to Steve Cerruti. Appreciate you, Cerruti. And, of course, Chris Tannehill, our sound man extraordinaire. And also we want to keep thanking Vic Spencer for giving his voice to the show. Check him out on Spotify or wherever you get your music. And as always, take care of each other and be safe. It's